Welcome to the Church 214 podcast. We're glad that you've joined us today. We hope that you enjoy today's message. And if you'd like to find out more about our church, please visit our website at church214.org. Okay, sorry to cut your conversation short, but I have the honor and the privilege to welcome and introduce our guest preacher today. Alicia, and I'm sure most of you at least recognize her if you have never spoken to her because she's been here for almost a year and a part of the worship team, which has been so amazing because she's so gifted and talented. And one thing that I love about her is when she's up here in worship, I don't know if you guys have noticed this, but she is so full of joy. Her presence she just exudes the presence of the Lord, and I've enjoyed it so much, you leading us in worship. Um, but this is her last Sunday with us because she's going back to India where she's a missionary. And when COVID hit, you had to come back, or thankfully you made it back before they closed the borders. And they've opened their borders back up. You got all your paperwork, and you're heading back in a few weeks. But she is going to kick off our Simple Gospel series, and she's going to do awesome. I hope you guys are excited for some stories tonight because a lot of these stories, I'm not sure if I've even shared a lot of them with people before. So you guys are in for a treat. You guys ready? The storyline. We're all a part of one. Hemmed into the pages of a story long begun long ago. When chapters were white, unscathed by strokes and blots, but plots were only thoughts. Desires to be wrought by the hand who holds the pen, but the stars in the human heart. So my story begins. Alicia Louise Wright, one minute past midnight, held by a carpenter's hand, a Father's Day gift. One, nine, nine, zero. Let the zip code stroll through the corn maze, sheep pens, summer days, tornado wind, a eureka. I found it. Dot on a map that forms presidents like Reagan to become just that. Something, someone full of destiny and born to embrace history. But there was no amen said at my family dinner. No callous knees shouting surrender until the word, his word, found a rooting in that central Illinois soil of my heart. And any page is good to start a new story. So page 16, that marked it, that sparked it. Cue the scene change, cue the plot twist, the rearrange, the life given over in divine exchange. Now could it be that the man who was pinned to that tree is the man who hovered over the seas, over the deep, and said, let there be light. I was convinced a new creation, new location, no deviation from my father. And he set a seal to dwell within. And oh, I was shaken physically, uncontrollably for days. And there was no record from my lips until that moment of such boldness. An infilling of the Acts chapter 2, tongues of fire, upper room, manifest, now presumed indwelling Christ. He healed my knee, 
miraculously. And now my mind unto eternity. But the enemy, he started throwing blades at me, dislocating my hip, scalping my head, literally doing anything that he could to detour and squander a life set apart. But, you know, it didn't work. I didn't wander, and opposition actually made me stronger. So one night, a week of water as my meals, hunger rose for God, for encounter and zeal to consume. Resume on with the American dream? (laughs) What torture? I said, I don't care what I do. As long as I may be your partner, God, just prove that you hear me. And he paused not at all. Out of my mouth, the words I recall. Shemaya satya, shemaya satya, shemaya satya, over and over and over. Shemaya came to find, spoken in Hebrew, God's native word. This Old Testament prophet's name means God has heard. (laughs) He says what he means and means what he says. Turns out Satya is Hindi for becoming his partner the rest of my days. Now down a road to the nations with worship and prayer, let it mingle with missions and not become rare to hear my favorite man's name known and honored to the ends of the earth. An encounter, encounter, will tell of his worth. So I'll scribble down these stories on parchment pieces. I'll tangle this five-letter name of names into the creases to hasten my king. A reward for his suffering. A grandeur returning after a selfless blood offering, overcoming, and restoring all love. So this is history. The ancient mystery told through the word of our testimony. You guys, they asked me to kick off this series on evangelism. (laughs) So I want to share with you guys about the power of your testimony in evangelism, how it increases faith. So the word testimony here, you can see it's marturian, It means to bring a witness or a proof. So our lives literally can be the gospel for people. So just to catch you guys up, I know that was a lot at once probably. (laughs) So I actually want to share with you guys, just catch you up to this point in my life. I've been a missionary since 2012. So nine years now, full time. And when I got the call from the Lord to do missions, I actually wasn't expecting it would be a full-time thing. I was, you know, probably like 21, 22 years old. And I was like, I love Jesus. I love worship. And I told the Lord, I said, God, is there a missions organization for worship leaders? Because I want to be a part of that. I want there to be missions, worship, and prayer all in one organization. I prayed that prayer the next morning. I kid you not. I got an email from some random organization I'd never heard of in my life. They said, are you a worship leader that wants to bring prayer and worship to the mission field? (laughs) Uh, Okay. 
So I literally have been with that same organization ever since. <laughs> so that was back in 2012. But this storyline with India, though, I was telling this to the kids at Youth 214 a few nights ago, that I believe God has a story written for each one of our lives, right? Handwritten by the hand of God. What if your story is not written in English? What if your story is written in Arabic? What if the story that God has over your life is written in Hebrew? What if the story that God has over your life is written in Hindi? So when that became a revelation to my heart, I just wanted to say, Lord, have your way with me. Whatever you want to do, I'm here. So I'm in my bedroom. I'm saying these words in Hindi and Hebrew. I write it down in my journal, and I don't tell a soul. Here I am saying a spoken word and telling you guys about it today. But that's because God turned it into my storyline. So I write it down in my journal. I'm not going to tell anybody about this encounter I have with the Lord. I want a secret place with God that nobody knows about. Um, about a year later, I got asked to move to California to be with a man that, uh, named Lou Angle, and he's leading these huge prayer gatherings. Um, and so I move out to California, and I remember almost everybody that was on that team in 2013 that moved to California, for some reason they all had a heart for India. And I was like, I'm the only one, but I'll be faithful. I'm praying for college campuses, you know. So eventually, you know, the more you pray for something, what happens? Your heart comes al alive. Maybe you didn't care about it when you started praying, but all of a sudden your heart starts to have a passion for whatever it is you're consistently praying for. So we're praying for this place called Varanasi, India. It is the capital of Hinduism in the world. It's where Buddha gave his first sermon. And so this place in India, I started praying for very consistently with this group of people in California. So we start getting dreams from the Lord. He starts to direct us, and he's, and he's basically telling us, go to this place in northern India. I want you to do a 21-day fast. And so at this point, it's just a small group of us. I'm like, okay, Lord, I'm open. Um, my heart's a little more alive now for India. If you want me to go, I'm willing to go. And I felt the Lord say to me that day, Alicia, you think that you're the only one that doesn't have a call to India in this group, but what happened to you? And I have a flashback of sitting on the floor in my bedroom speaking in Hindi. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, okay, that could be significant. <laughs> and he's like, yeah. So I get sat down by one of the leaders, and she basically tells me that I was not chosen for the India team to, on the trip to go to India. I'm confused. I end up going across the street to this library, just crying. I'm sitting down in the back, just like, God, can I not hear from you? Can the leaders not hear from you? I'm pretty sure you told me I'm called to India. Mind you, this is back in 2013 or 2014 this was happening. I'm like, okay, God, whatever. I don't even know if I can hear from you. And then I open my little watery eyes, and my toes are touching a big red book at this library. And it says on the side, learning Hindi. So I pick up the book, 
I'm like, oh, wow, I can't read a thing. And I look above my head, and there was a sign that signified what area of the library I had sat in. The title of the section I was sitting in was Missions in India, directly above my head. I felt the Lord say, just because I've told you something that's going to be happening in the future doesn't mean you can make your own timing for it. Wait for me. This is going to be good. So I said, okay. About a year later, I have a dream. And the dream leaders of Acts Missions are asking me to rejoin. Two weeks after the dream, the leaders ask me to rejoin Acts because they're starting a new location for northern India. Whoa. (laughs) So that was 2015 to catch you guys up. But now I want to give you guys some practicals since this is a series on evangelism, on how you yourself can can share your story, how you can share the gospel of Jesus with people and then be radically encountered by his love and be encouraged with faith. Are you guys excited? All right, so I want to give you just a little tiny video here that shows you what everyday life in India looks like. So take it away. Ooh, do you guys feel like you got to enter into India a little bit through that video? It's pretty fun. It's real, also very crazy, <laughs> very crazy in India. So as we're, st- as we're kicking off this series, I thought it might be good to just share this word evangelism, what it means. And actually, as we go throughout this time, actually, let me just pray right now. Jesus, I just pray as we go throughout this time that you would spark um, things in people's hearts for ways to evangelize in their city, in their community, in their home even, amongst their family members. God, I just pray that you would give us creative ideas on how to reach the lost in Peoria. In Jesus' name. So this word evangelism, it's euangelizo in Greek, and its actual meaning is to bring the good news. So if you tie that with the word for testimony, it basically means that you're bringing a witness of proof with the good news. Therefore, your life is the good news. Make sense? So... I, have you guys heard of this uh, book called The Five Love Languages? It's by Gary Chapman. So today, I'm going to give you the five love languages of evangelism. We're going to use this tool, okay? So we've got acts of service. You guys probably have heard of these before. Acts of service, physical touch, receiving gifts, words of affirmation, and quality time. So how many of you in here have taken the test before? Okay, oh my gosh, almost everybody. So my top one, I feel like, is words of affirmation. That's huge for me. And quality time. How many people are quality time people in here? Okay, okay. So it's like a language of the heart, right? It's the way that you receive love. Like if you're married and your husband, like gifts is your number one and your husband brings you flowers, and it's a surprise, like your love tank is full that day. You're like, ooh, thank you. (laughs) So I thought, as I was preparing this, I felt the Lord say to me, I want to teach them the five love languages in the context of evangelism. So our first one, acts of service. 
Another way to say this in Christianese, like Bible terms, would be the humble servant, becoming the humble servant. Now, if you look at the man Jesus, he was, he is the humble servant. One of the most famous scenes in all of scripture is when he literally takes a towel and he wipes the feet of all the disciples. He washes their feet. So he is the servant of all. If we look at Matthew 20, I just want to read this even in the context um, of the scriptures so we can get some insight. So we're going to look at Matthew 20, verse 20 through 28. It says, Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came up to him with her sons, and kneeling before him, she asked him for something. And he said to her, What do you want? She said to him, Say that these two sons of mine are to sit, one at your right hand and one at your left in your kingdom. Jesus answered, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? They said to him, We are able. He said to them, You will drink my cup, but to sit at my right hand and my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those for whom it has been prepared by my Father. And when the ten heard it, they were indignant at the two brothers. But Jesus called them to him and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. Okay, now get this. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. What a man <laughs> to be preaching this to his disciples. This was, this was a 180, I think, from what they had seen, which is why it was such a radical teaching. It still is a radical teaching. Like if you were to see the president going around and, you know, like serving the poor or just like not for publicity or anything, but he genuinely was like, I really want to humbly serve. The whole world would be paying attention. When a leader goes low and serves, it actually sets the bar for the rest of the people that are below them in leadership to also be servants. So in the context, I read the whole thing because James and John, their mother, <laughs> was wanting them to be the greatest. <laughs> very ironic, you know, it's like, okay, you need to go ahead and serve. I, as I was preparing this, I had this understanding. John was actually known as the apostle of love. He was also known as John the evangelist. And he was known to be a servant too, because at the cross, who did Jesus from the cross call out to take care of my mother, called out to John. What to take care of his mother means that he would come in the role of serving the mother of Christ. I think it's so interesting here in this scripture, we've got James and John coming forward as people that like, oh, their mom wants them to be the greatest. Jesus basically rebukes and is like, hey, you need to serve. Turns out one of those two brothers ends up being known as the servant of Jesus' mother after Jesus, you know, dies, rise again. But also the greatest evangelist. So I'm trying to make a connection here that the man who was known as John the evangelist is also the servant of Jesus' mother. 
Those two things go hand in hand. Being an evangelist and being a servant go hand in hand. Greatest servant is the greatest evangelism, evangelist. And then even an example with Paul, um, he, he's the one who said that, um, for, it's in 1 Corinthians 9, for though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. So he's talking about sharing the gospel with people, and he says, I'm going to go where they are. I'm going to dress like them, act like them, whatever it is, so he can serve them, so he can win more people to Christ. So one example of this, um, being the humble servant, because I want you guys to kind of think, okay, how can I do this in my everyday everyday life? So when I lived in California, they actually have the Dream Center, just like in Peoria, they have a Dream Center in L.A., so what we used to do is we used to go out to this place called Skid, Skid Row. It's one of the poorest regions in the whole country where there's just tents and tents and tents of people um, that are homeless. So one of the ways that we wanted to come in and share the gospel with people in Skid Row is we put on this nail clinic and did makeup for the girls. So we would just tell them, okay, we're having this on Saturday, 10 a.m., Come, you know, stand outside and we'll, we'll get you in as it comes because it makes them feel loved. And when you're, how many of you girls know when you're getting your nails done, you're probably talking to the person that's doing your nails. Like you make conversation with them. Maybe you don't. I don't know. <laughs> but it's a great way to be able to share the good news because people are feeling loved. They're like, oh, my gosh, this person's serving me. My nails are ratchet. Like, <laughs> so it just makes them feel really loved. Um, so yeah, again, just as we go, if there's ideas that come to your head of, oh, I could do something like this in downtown Peoria, I could do something like this in Morton or whatever, I want you to actually write it in your phone, write a little note, because I believe that God wants to speak today, um, just to catalyze us in evangelism. So our next one we have is healing. Healing is one of my favorite ones, because I just love watching the Lord move in this way. So if we look at Matthew 9, it says, And Jesus went through all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. So the gospel was going hand in hand with healing. And in Luke 7, um, Jesus, just the context of the whole chapter, he um, heals a centurion's servant, I believe, and then he heals a widow's son. And after that moment... John, he's in prison at the time, this whole chapter, and he asks his, his guys, his right-hand men, hey, I'm in prison right now, but I really want to know, is Jesus the Christ? Can you go and ask him, basically, ask him? And so they go to Jesus. They say, hey, so John's in prison. You probably already know that. But um, he's kind of wondering, wondering if you're the guy or if we're supposed to wait for some other guy, like who's going to be the Messiah, and then Jesus straight up says to him, go and tell John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor have good news preached to them. Good news in context with casting out the demons, in context with healing, like they go hand in hand, right? And then... Just a few more examples. So one of the first things Jesus does with his 12 disciples, I guess it's toward the end of his ministry, but he wants to send them out 
to evangelize themselves. And he says, proclaim as you go, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. And then when he sends out the 72 a little while later, he says again, heal the sick in it. Say to them, the kingdom of God has come near to you. So what if healing is a prophecy to the resurrection to come? What if Jesus was saying this as he's sending them out because he knew what was about to happen. He knew he was about to die, but he also knew he was about to raise from the grave. So whenever we go out and we lay hands on people, like my knee got healed when I was like 21 years old and my eyes were just opened. Like when healing goes forth by the hand of the Lord, it is a prophecy of the resurrection to come. That one day, it's like maybe in this moment he'll heal our knee. But, okay, yes, he does love us, but it's much bigger than this. It's actually a prophecy that Jesus is going to come back. It says that the last trumpet, at the twinkling of an eye, the dead in Christ will be raised. It's a prophecy. Healing is prophecy to the resurrection of our bodies. Woo. <laughs> All right, you guys ready to hear like a healing story? Okay. <laughs> okay, this is one of my favorite ones. So I go to India for the first time. This is end of 2015. We did these, um, we did evangelism every day. So we would just go on the streets and we'd, we'd say, Holy Spirit, where do you want us to go? So one day, two of my friends, they're walking through the streets of India and they had, they're like, you know, let's just ask Jesus for every direction. So they literally didn't know where they were going. So they walk down like one little goldie, and they're like, okay, Jesus, right or left? Okay, right. Okay, now where, do we, where are we supposed to go? I feel like we're supposed to go left. You feel like we're supposed to go left? Okay, cool. So they start doing this. They end up standing in front of a house, like this, just this door. And they're like, I think this is the, the people we're supposed to preach to, like they're ready or something. So as they're about to knock, along comes a little boy on his bike. He stops right in front of the house, and they recognize him. And they're like, wait, weren't you our boat driver earlier today? <laughs> and he's like, oh, yeah, you know. So they open up the door. He invites him in, of course. So they go inside the house. And as they're sitting there, they're chatting in walks a girl named Jyoti, who they also recognize. This girl was the only believer in her family, and we had met her at church, like, the week before. Whoa. So she obviously had been praying for her family to be saved because she was the only believer. So they mingle with them and everything. They try to share, and they come back, and they talk to me, and they're like, Alicia, we want to go back to this house with um, these people that we met. They tell me the whole story. I'm like, this seems like God. And so um, they're like, I don't know if they were scared, but I don't know if they shared the full gospel with them when they went, when they wanted me to. <laughs> so we go back, and we literally did the same thing. We didn't know how to find the house. <laughs> so we're like, turn right, turn left. Okay, thank you, Lord. We make it to the house. We go inside, and the mom is there this time. And Jyoti, this Christian girl, is there. And so I asked the girl, I was like, can we share the gospel with your family? There's a few other people gathered. And she's like, yes, of course. And so I was like, I didn't, I didn't know Hindi at the time. So she had to translate for us. And she wasn't that great at English. So what did I do? 
I grab a fork, a spoon, a knife, like what else, a bowl, and I had each different utensil represent a different character in the gospel storyline. So Jesus was like a fork. So I'm like, yes, you must see. That's all I knew, his name. Yes, you must see, like right here. So I explained the death, the burial, the resurrection, all of that. So it's Hindus that are listening to this. They probably have never once heard the gospel before. So this is like changing their worldview. And yeah, they say it takes a few times to preach the gospel when it's that ingrained in them before they might actually give their life to Jesus. Unless there's like a healing and they're like, whoa. So that day we asked her, we said, you've heard the story. Do you believe it? And she goes, yeah, yeah, I believe you. I believe you. And then we go a little further. We're like, okay, if you say yes to Jesus, you have to say no to all of your other gods. So they serve statues. They serve thousands and thousands of them. So when she thought about it, she was like, you know, I don't. She just basically told us no, like I I cannot. And so we're all sitting on the ground, and we're about to leave, and she stands up, and her knees are shaking. And she's like, oh, I'm just in so much pain. And I'm like, ooh, so I say to her I was like do your knees hurt you know and she's like oh I just haven't been able to walk the last couple days they've hurt so bad and I was like oh I share the story of my knee getting healed when I was in college and she's like well of course pray over me so I lay my hands on her and I literally start to feel like heat on her knee and we get done praying and I'm like test it out and she Like, she's so speechless because the Lord healed her knee. (laughs) She she stands up and she goes, starts kicking around. I was like, how's it feel? And she's like, "I I don't feel anything. I don't feel any pain. I was like, oh, my gosh. So the Lord heals her knee. First of all, let's just clap for the Lord. So the Lord heals her knee. And then... I mean, maybe I shouldn't share this part, but it kind of gives you the reality of things. Even after she got healed, we asked her again, do you want to give your life to Jesus? Do you want to serve only Jesus? And she still said no. So that's hard to deal with, y'all. But you never know if you're the first person to minister to somebody or the 15th. And you just never know when the moment's going to come that they're like, you know what, I got encountered 10 years ago, my knee got healed, some other punk missionary comes 10 years later, reaps the harvest, at least the harvest is reaped, you know? So that's one of my favorite stories, especially because it was a believer's mom and she'd been praying for her. I'm like, come on, Jesus, you're cool. All right, so the next one is provision. So provision, this could be seeing a need and meeting it. That could be like bringing food for a family in need. Um, Say like shelter, you could maybe house a college student or something. Uh, Clothing, providing extra children's clothes for a new mom. So there's so many things you can do with provision, um, with, with giving gifts to people. And from the scripture, we know that Jesus did this all the time. So he fed the 5,000 with five loaves and two fish in John chapter 6. And after that, he says, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. So he really is sharing the gospel 
in the midst of providing for people. So this last year, because of COVID, in India, there was a huge um, need for food during, like, when the, when the uh, COVID first started. Because in the poor districts, if there's not normal, like, you aren't able to go to the store and all of that stuff. And jobs were wiped out, too, quite a bit. So they literally just didn't have food to eat. I have a little disciple. She texted me, and she was like, hey, Alicia, can you please... Um, send money to, to my friend Steven so that he can give me money so we can buy rice. And I'm like, oh, it must be pretty bad if even my teenage girl is messaging me. So over this last year, we, this are like actual pictures from my city. Um, we raised $50,000 this last year to provide food for people. Um, and we still have a surplus that we're looking to buy blankets this winter um, for people because yeah, there's just a huge need, and it's a way to share the gospel. Actually, um, the pastors we've been working with, they told me that um, in order to get into certain districts, like there's a red light district, there's a leper colony in my city, apparently. In order to get into these places, they have to have permission from the police, and the police are Hindu. So as they've gone throughout the process, they've had a testimony of, we have had so much favor with the Hindus this year, m far more favor because they see that we're wanting to provide for people. So it really is a way to share the gospel. So second to last one here is prophecy. So this words of affirmation. You know, I'm just giving these like, you know, Christianese terms for the five uh, love languages here. So prophecy, who all in here has been prophesied over before? Sweet, quite a few people. So, Revelation 19, it says, the testimony of, is the spirit of, the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. So, what does this mean? It means that a vehicle for the good news is the prophetic. Why? If hope deferred, I want you to catch this, if, if hope deferred makes the heart sick, then hope affirmed makes the heart healthy. Prophetic words fulfilled make the heart healthy. So when you go out, you step, you step out and you say, Holy Spirit, what do you think about this person? He has so many thoughts toward people, innumerable. The number of sands on the seashore. He has so many thoughts toward people. And what if he just drops one thought, one of those millions of thoughts into your head and you have the boldness to share it with somebody? If they had a sick heart because their hope is deferred, whew, it flips things. Does this kind of make sense for you guys? Holy Spirit is always speaking. He uses prophecy and words of knowledge to get people's attention that don't know him. He wants to reveal his love, and he wants people to know that they are seen by God. So one of my favorite moments in Scripture where Jesus kind of does this is uh, the story of the woman at the well. So he goes up, and all of his disciples are off in the town or something. He's at this well. There's a Samaritan woman there, and back in those days, the Samaritans didn't mingle with the Jews, and so it was weird that Jesus was even talking to her. And so as he's chatting with her, um, he basically tells her, long story short, that he is the living water. 
He said, ask of me, if, if you knew who you were talking to, you would ask me for the living water that never runs out. And she's like, oh, give this to me, Lord. Um, and then he goes into talking about worshiping and spirit and truth and eventually reveals himself to this woman as the Messiah, which she's like, whoa, this is crazy. And he prophesies over her, or he gives a word of knowledge because he obviously knows her, and said, oh, uh, where's your husband at? Have your husband come bring water. And she goes, oh, you know, he's not here right now, you know. He's like, oh, I know. You've got five husbands, and the one you're with right now isn't your husband. She's like, oh, he just called me out on my junk. <laughs> but he loved her anyway. And what did she do immediately thereafter? It says in John 4, many of the Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, stayed two days. And because of his word, many more became believers. I think we have the power to do that, too, just like Jesus did. And he's, like, getting these words of knowledge and prophesying. Like, he, he knew, oh, she's got five husbands. And one that she's with right now is not her husband. Like, if we get those kind of words for people and we speak it in love, I believe that people's hearts are going to be awakened like, oh, my gosh, how could they have known that? Obviously, this is God. So one of the ways that I've been able to do this in the past, uh, like prophesying over people, we had this thing in uh, California called The Well. Actually, this might be a good idea for you guys to do because you're very, like, you guys have great worship. Like, we have really great worship at this church. So every Friday, um, we would have a worship night, and as the worship was going on, people from all around Los Angeles would come in because they heard about prophecy at the well. So there was whole teams of like, say, three people per team. They worked together, asked the Holy Spirit together, Lord, what do you think for the, about this person? And so we've got people coming in from Hollywood, very much not saved at all. But because they wanted to hear a word from the Lord, they would come in, and then after, like, they had to file through. You can kind of see these are the back rooms there. But worship would be going on, say, on the stage, and then behind the stage there was classrooms that one by one they'd be called in and they'd be prophesied over, and people would feel so encouraged. Um, so I know I'm running out of time a little bit. You guys having fun? Do you like this? Okay, so I was debating sharing this story or not, but it's just one of my favorites, so I'm just going to do it. Okay, so uh, this has to do with prophecy and, like, the Lord speaking to us and wanting to encourage people. So the group from the well, um, they actually go overseas and do missions too, but they will prophesy over missionaries to encourage them. So one day I have a dream, and in the dream I'm carrying these two glasses of water, and I knew I was traveling a long way, and I was giving them to two women in their 30s. And that was it. Very simple dream. I write it down. And then a man approaches me from the well, and he says, hey, um, would you pray about coming on a, a missions trip with us? We're wanting to go encourage missionaries. And we basically take it from a scripture that talks about bringing glasses of water to people to restore them. And, you know, and I'm like, whoa, I had a dream about this back in the day. And so I tell him the dream about the two women. And he goes, hmm, hmm, interesting. I know who those two women are. And I said, what? He said, their names are Liesl and Suzanne. 
They're in their 30s, and they're the only missionaries in Sida, Lebanon. You guys have heard of Tyre and Sidon in the Bible? So Sidon is Sida now. So he said, you will be living with them for a month if you come on this trip. So I went on the trip. <laughs> so this is wild. Okay, we get there, we spend a month with them, and then so every location we went to, we prophesied over the missionaries. We had like an hour session with each missionary to prophesy, encourage, pray over them. So we get to this, uh, to one of the girls. Her name's Liesl. Well, Liesl and Susan, I guess. And the day, like a few days before we were about to leave, I was like, I wonder what day I had that dream. So I look back in my eye calendar. I like put all my dreams in there because I'm weird. And it was on March 8th, the year before. Now I'm looking this up and it's like March 6th, the next year. I was like, whoa, what if we prophesy a year to the day of the dream? Only God could do this, you know? So I don't say anything to anybody about the date I had the dream. And then our leaders come up and they're like, okay, we're looking at the schedule. The only day available to prophesy over them is March 8th. <laughs> <laughs> Literally a year to the day of the dream. So the Lord loves prophecy. He loves edifying people. Am I right? So our last one is quality time, a.k.a. friendship evangelism. So, we can go to John 15 and see this clearly. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father I have made known to you. So, one great way of ministering to people is just being their friend. Showing them love through friendship. Sometimes people, right when you meet them, they aren't actually ready. They're, the soil of their hearts isn't ready for the word to be planted in good soil, sometimes it takes time. So one example of this, I've met um, a girl in the last few years. Her name is Smriti. And Smriti is very Hindu. She is a food blogger in my city. She came up to me at a restaurant one day, and she goes, hi, oh my gosh, so me and my friends are just talking, and we're wondering, are you Pakistani? Or are you a Jew? And I was like... <laughs> I'm American. <laughs> and anyways, <laughs> so we like sparked up this friendship and I came back to America. This, so this was two years ago, I guess, when I met her. And I met her like the week I was going back to America. So I was like, poor girl, I can't really connect with her. But I came back and I didn't really connect with her right away. But one day I felt the Lord telling me to go to this specific restaurant just to like eat lunch, you know, basic things. And I go in there, and guess who is in the restaurant, and she's hosting an event. She's, like, the host of it, and she's, like, on the news and everything. I'm like, who is this girl? Smriti. It's Smriti. And she comes up to me. She's like, Alicia, oh, my gosh, you know? And so if I hadn't listened to the Lord and gone to that restaurant, I wouldn't have reconnected with her. But since then, um, we watched this series, The Chosen, with her, and she said to us, I am 99% sure that everything you're telling me is true. <laughs> oh, gosh. So she hasn't officially, again, that 1%, y'all. She hasn't officially given her life to the Lord, but I think it does take time sometimes that people, especially if they have a worldview that is not geared around 
Jesus, then it literally they have to rewire their brain to understand a God that they don't have to work for their salvation. It's completely different than what they're used to. So wrapping up here, I want to give you guys some practicals, three ways to catalyze evangelism. The first, open-air preaching. I'm sure you guys have seen this before. It also can be in the form of music. I've done that before where we, like, sing a song and people come around and we've got people planted that are, like, having little gospel conversations while there's music happening. Secondly, the faith journey. And then last is a treasure hunt. So for the faith journey, I'm going to show you guys a little one-minute video. This happened back in 2012 in Turkey. So... One of the ways that Jesus catalyzed evangelism was to say, go out, no money, no knapsack. Just go, ask the Lord, like ask God to send you to a person of peace. So we did that in Turkey, um, went on a faith journey in um, a Kurdish region, which is on the border of Iraq and Iran, and got to minister to some families. And we saw quite a few people come to the knowledge of Jesus that had never heard the gospel before. Because we just stepped out. We literally, I don't even think I brought a toothbrush actually with me. Literally just went out and said, here we are, Lord. Send us to the people of peace, the ones that want to hear about you. So then the last one is the treasure hunt. So this story is more recent. This just happened right before I came back. Um, so a treasure hunt. Who's heard of a treasure hunt before? Okay, a few people. So a treasure hunt's kind of a fun way to do evangelism where you gather as believers beforehand. Say there's just three of you. And you're like, okay, let's ask the Holy Spirit for who we're going to meet today. So he could give you a picture of what somebody's wearing or maybe a tattoo that they have. I don't know, like the Lord gets creative in this. And he'll just give you like a simple picture, a simple word. And then you just go out, go to Walmart. And then you look for the items on your list, on your treasure hunt. So it's pretty fun. So um, so one day, we decided to do a treasure hunt. And we asked the Lord in the morning, who are we going to meet today? He shows us um, some red shirts and a cat. <laughs> it was literally the only things that we got. And we're like, okay, write it down. Let's just go for it. So we go on this rafting trip that day. And as we're getting on the raft, our, our guides, they say, so um, there's two other people that are actually going to be coming on this trip. Can you wait for them? And we're like, yeah, sure. So a few minutes goes by. Up over the hill comes two people wearing red shirts walking toward us. And we're like, whoa, <laughs> crazy. So we chat with them and end up becoming really good friends with these guys. They invite us. They're wealthy. They own, like, hospitals in southern India. So we had crazy favor. And they invite us out to dinner that night. As we're walking up to the restaurant, there's this cat that sprints in front of, like, the guy. And we're like, whoa, the cat, you know. And I didn't... <laughs> I didn't see it necessarily. My friends saw it. But then we're having dinner, and I kid you not. So the guy, the, like the, the father, he's sitting there. He's, like, chatting with us. Up perches this cat on the windowsill behind his head. <laughs> and we're like, okay, this definitely is from the Lord. And we had a guy in our group that was an ex-Muslim, and these guys were Muslim. And so they got to share with them, and maybe one of the first times they've ever heard the gospel, too. They're from southern India, and they invited us to their house in southern India, and we got to spend, like, four days with them. 
and share more. So that is one of the relationships that when I go back to India, like for sure, I'm going to southern India to meet up with them because they're ripe for the harvest. Like super ripe. <laughs> All right, so I'm going to go ahead and uh, close up here because I know that y'all are probably ready for what's happening today. I don't know. <laughs> so um, this is one of my favorite quotes. It's by a man named John Piper. Um, and he says, missions is not the ultimate goal of the church. Worship is. Missions exist because worship doesn't. So when we started all of this, remember I shared my testimony at the very beginning. So we're going to bookend tonight with a testimony of a beautiful little girl. So one day this girl, she goes into a room probably full of men, and she brings this alabaster jar with her. This alabaster jar represented her whole life savings. It represented her future. And what did she do? She broke it at the feet of Jesus, and it was to prepare him for burial. So when this fragrance is filling the room, Jesus is knowing that this was radical devotion that she just poured out. That this is something significant. It says, and truly I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. So we're talking about the gospel. We're talking about sharing it. So I want you to know this. Jesus himself said that wherever the gospel of the kingdom goes, what needs to go hand in hand with it? The story of this girl. Why? You have to ask, why would the Savior of the world, the one who wrote the storybook, why would he put this part into the story? Why would the gospel of the kingdom, which saves the entire earth, why does that story need to be told alongside the story of this little girl? Like it has that much impact? I believe it's because Jesus is looking for this caliber of devotion from people. He's not just saying, I want, I want you guys to, you know, just get saved and just keep living however you want to live, you know. No. He's saying that the gospel of the kingdom must go with the story of this girl because she gave radical devotion. The caliber of devotion that he'd ever seen, this was the highest. This was the height of devotion that he had ever seen. Giving away her whole life savings, going to the feet of Jesus, preparing him for, she believed the gospel because she was preparing him for burial. A lot of people at that time were saying, no, 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 Lord, don't let this happen. Don't let this happen. But she said, no, 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 I agree. This must take place. She had insight. She had insight that a lot of people didn't have yet. She knew that he needed to die. So what did she do? She laid everything out. She herself, in a way, died. She died to her future. 
She died to the resources that she would have because Jesus was worth it. He's worthy. Now, this is something that the Lord has shown me in the last half a year. So that alabaster jar had this oil inside of it called spikenard. So over 2,000 years ago, this spikenard plant was pulled up out of its roots. They took the roots and they crushed it. They put it into an alabaster jar and they transported it from northern India to Jerusalem. If I can look into this a bit, when I look around the streets of India, I see radical devotion. They're just not devoted yet to the one they're supposed to be devoted to. You guys, what if this is like a prophecy for the end of the age that just as it happened 2,000 years ago, how the oil came from, was imported from northern India and went into Jerusalem, what if at the end of the age that very same thing will happen? That a devotional worship movement comes out of the Himalayas, the place right now where idols are worshipped day, literally 24-7. There's a temple 24-7, five minutes from my house, and they're worshipping a demon. What if these people get encountered by the gospel and that same devotion is taken back to Jerusalem to draw the Jews to jealousy. The Jews say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And Jesus splits the sky at that moment. You know, I feel like there's a, there's like this bigger storyline that I'm being swept up into as a worship leader even. Um, so God, I just want to share with you, God has been opening crazy doors this last year. He put us in contact with this um, organization called Bridge Music. And they are putting out media, worship videos. They're believers. And they want to preach the gospel through media and worship out of India. And so this last year we've been working with them. I literally, I got a camera so that when I go back I can help make music videos. <laughs> like, I believe that the Lord is doing something huge and we're starting a new organization called Alabaster because of the story of this girl. That it must go hand in hand with the gospel. So can we all just stand up? I feel like, um, yeah, as we close out tonight, I just want us to lay our hearts before the Lord and say, okay, God, I'm willing to share my testimony. I'm willing to do the five love languages, whatever, to people. But I honestly, above it all, I want the caliber of my devotion to be like that of Mary of Bethany. That what we're producing looks like that of Mary of Bethany. So I just want you to put your hands out before the Lord. Oh, Jesus, we love you. God, we ask that as we go out and share the good news of who you are, God, that they wouldn't just see something mediocre. God, we pray that they would see radical devotion, that they would see radical worship. Mm. Yeah, Lord, I just want to pray over, um, yeah, just Church 214 
as they go into downtown Peoria, God, I just pray that worship would ascend from downtown Peoria, Jesus. I pray that there would be radical devotion that draws so many people into the kingdom. Lord, I pray that you would multiply worshipers. Missions exist because worship doesn't. Lord, we pray that worship would ascend before you, God. The whole purpose is worship. Jesus, would you make us a people of worship? Would you make us a people of worship? I want everybody just to lift your voices in your own words. I want you to just pray out to the Lord. God, make me like Mary of Bethany. Oh, God. Mm, That the gospel that's being multiplied is a gospel of looking at you, of being in awe of you, Jesus. Being worshipers of you, Jesus. Yes, God. be lovers of you, Jesus. So as we go into this worship song, I want you to just, if you feel comfortable coming up, going down the floor before the Lord, get in the aisle, go to the back. I just want you to have um, a moment with the Lord that your life would be reproducible, that you'd be a reproducible worshiper. Lord, make us like Mary of Bethany, Jesus. Let us break our alabaster jars before you, Jesus.